This is a Color Pencil Podcast, session number 103. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a colored pencil podcast where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencils and the colored pencil artist. And now your hosts, Lisa Clow and John Middick. Hello, my name is John Middick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Lisa Clow of Lockery Fine Art. Lisa, I am doing never better today. How about you? <laughs> I'm also never better. You sound I, like it. I don't know what I was going, where I was going with that. This, I don't know why the intros always stump me so badly. Well, they're tough questions is what they, they are. They so. really are. <laughs> so this is the show about colored pencil and the colored pencil artist and we try to help anybody and everybody that's on this colored pencil journey and with your art it doesn't matter if you're a beginner or a seasoned artist so lisa what are we talking about today we are talking about something i know i'm asked all the time how do you move from being just a copier artists who feel like if they copy from a reference photo they're nothing more than a copier how do you mm become more creative. Yeah, that, and this is something I think I mentioned to you that I have a module dedicated to this in the begin, Beginner's Colored Pencil course uh, in my academy because it is something that does come up a lot. It's something that I remember struggling with myself and thinking, okay, I, you know, I'm excited. I want to create some art. And it is, it is something that a beginner will do is copy things. And that is great because you learn a lot when you're doing that. And so there comes a point, though, that you want to try to move beyond that. And we're going to talk about that little struggle right there today. But first, we want to frame things just a little bit and talk about what is the point of photorealism or representational art, I like to call it. So the first thing I think as an artist, you want to get, if, if you're working towards creating stuff that is very realistic, you're going to work from a photo. That's how you're going to learn things. Everyone right. seems to have this idea in their head that a good artist doesn't need a reference photo. They're working from their, their memory, and that's just not how it works. People who are working in photorealism are working from a photo. That's actually where the term photorealism originated. You're working from a photo to get those finer details that you wouldn't necessarily otherwise notice or remember if you're not painting on on location. But the thing is, when you paint from, from a photo, even if you're copying it as exact as you can, you are improving your technical skills. You have to copy from a photo to start with in order to get to the point where you are technically very accurate when drawing portraits or whatever it is, flowers, portraits, animals. You're going to work from a photo in order to get very accurate with that. And you're going to be hired from time to time to, if you're taking commissions, to work on a uh, from a photo that's not perfect. If you have not worked from really good photos and really honed your skills, just gotten them to where you're very, very accurate, you're not going to be able to take that lesser than photo and improve on that. There was a photo someone hired me years ago to do. It was a beautiful, the lighting was gorgeous. I could see detail, but the camera, there was a slight camera shake and it was blurred enough that she wouldn't want to have this photo printed. So that's why she hired me to basically fix the photo. She wanted it to look just like the photo, but mm -hmm. she needed it, you know, 
improved on. And that's where I came in. And if I hadn't spent years working on copying photos and learning to work like that, I wouldn't have gotten that job. Right. Yeah. And that that's a good point. I mean, that is something that you get with doing commissions. Portraits are, are no exception to that. You often will get something that is uh, out of focus and that's what they come to you for. And so if, if that's something that you want to do. You know, there, there's a there's a saying I remember reading not all that long ago that says, first you draw what you see, then you draw what you know, and finally you know what you see. And I, I think that is a good progression that you go through as an artist. It characterizes it really, really well there, I think. Because, yeah, you have to be able to see everything clearly in the beginning when you first start out. And then you start learning that subject matter so well. I mean, with portraiture, that takes that takes years to really hone that craft and uh, get very skilled at that. And, uh, you know, portraits of, of animals are no different. But you... You start knowing what you're drawing. You get more intimately familiar with the subject matter. And then finally, you're able to transform. You're able to, you know, know what you see whenever you're seeing something that maybe is less than perfect whenever you're handed a photo that's blurry or something like that. But, you know, photorealism and, you know, if we're talking about what the point of working in this representational style is, I mean, it improves your technical skills and like we mentioned, it's going to be something that you're going to be asked to do if you're taking commissions like that and if you allow that. And the other thing about it is it's just why do people do it? It's an enjoyable process. It's something that I have a great deal of satisfaction in being able to look at a photo and then represent that, copy that to a certain extent. Now, I always try to make it better myself and I try to improve upon some things because – a photo is believable all on its own, typically, but a drawing, a painting, that that takes a little more effort. There, there's things that'll look weird yeah. if you're not careful. And then even if you're going to be more creative, let's say, not that a person wouldn't be creative, but let's say you're going to paint a mermaid. If you haven't painted a whole lot of realistic fish, how are you going to know how to paint the tail. You're going to have to have painted the fish, understood scales, understood that, and worked from a reference photo. You can't, you know, there's not a lot of reference photos of mermaids out there. So not you're too going many, to, no. yeah, you're going to want to work on things that would be realistic in order to learn how to create that skin. A dragon. For some reason, I get a lot of requests from kids that want me to paint dragons. But in order, let's oh, say dragons are something that you're into. Ton of those on Pixabay, though. <laughs> Exactly. You're not going to find those reference photos. So what would you do instead? You would get reference photos of certain types of reptiles, a chameleon, a bearded dragon, learn to paint their skin, and then you can apply that to your dragon painting or, you know, that sort of thing. But learning, working from photo is how you get to that point. Your brain is not just instantly going to know how to paint dragon skin. You're going to find other reference photos to combine to create these fantasy type creatures if that's what you're into. Yeah. And even in starting out when you're you're trying to learn realism or you're trying to be more accurate in your drawing uh, process. I, I even think it's a good thing if you look at some of the old masters and especially like the etchings and the drawings themselves where you can see strokes. You can see exactly what they did with the instrument that they're working with. Um, you, can, you can see that and you can copy that and learn some things just by doing that. That's a good thing to do. But I understand wanting to move on from that. And that's a good point, Lisa. Taking the, the things that um, are real and then applying that to something that is surreal. 
And, you know, the thing about it is you are wanting to move on. You're wanting to start doing something that, you know, you're where you're feeling like it's your own conception um, of whatever this art piece is going to be, that this is something that began with you and ended with you. It's something that originated with you. And so that takes us to that next step of, okay, am I going to just start taking my own photos? But I really want us to get past that point, though, where we may be feeling some guilt or we may be feeling uh, inadequate if we're using reference photos. They are a necessary evil. First, you're not going to have somebody that will sit there and pose for you for hours and hours and hours. You know, It's just not realistic, and it's, it's not practical at all. And so we have to use photos as just a necessary evil in creating representational art. And going back to that, having this kind of guilt of working from a reference photo, for some reason, and I see this more with with younger artists, they have in their head that to be a good artist, you have to work from memory. I don't know where this concept comes from, but it is absolutely not true. And there is no such thing as a photographic memory. That's something that's really interesting in TV and fantasy. And as somebody Wait, who loves fantasy, yeah, it doesn't exist. Oh. You don't have, no one has a photographic memory. If you're painting something super realistic, you're, whether it be a person, an animal, if you really want to make that fur look like it's real fur, you're going to work from a photo or from a live model. That's another option if you can get that live models sit still long enough for you or there are going to be cases where an artist let's say for me i have painted hundreds of orcas in my life i'm not as dependent on having a reference photo for those because i've painted so many of them but that you know we're talking about 10 years of painting nothing but whales and dolphins before i hit that point and even now i still want a reference photo just to kind of guide me and remind me where things go to make sure it's just right but this idea of you have to be working from your memory to be good is false. Another one that I want to bring up, I hear this all the time. Well, if you work from photos, then you're limiting yourself. You're limited to that photo. I say the opposite. I'm not limited because I'm able to look at the photo and see where the shadow should fall on the arm, where the shadow should fall on the jawline, how the shadows should hit, where the light sources are. Without that photo, I feel limited because I don't have a clue where those should hit on that on anything I'm drawing yeah. because I have nothing to refer to. And so this idea of people feeling like I'm going to be limited because I have to work from a photograph is absolutely, I, I just don't see it. I'm not limited no. to the time of day to make sure my lighting is perfect on my subject. I am not limited to when the model can come sit for me or my dog. Let's say I'm painting my dog. She keeps moving. I'm limited now. If I have that photo, exactly what I want my work, you know, the exact drawing, the exact outline, perfect shape of her ears, all of that in a photo, I am far less limited than somebody else who is having to depend on those things. So when you have people throw that out there at you, well, you're limiting yourself. I think it's the opposite. Yeah, I agree with that. And yeah, another way that you would limit yourself without a photo reference is you you think that you're going to contain all of that information that you need in your head. That is very limiting. Our memory, it's been proven that our memories are one of the most unreliable things about the human brain. So, yeah, that that I think we can just debunk that myth right away. Another myth, Lisa, that we hear is, well, you know, if you're just a photocopyist and you're creating art from a photo, then you're really not a real artist. And especially if you didn't take that photo. That's one that we hear. Yeah, that drives me crazy, too, because that's that's coming. You know, I'm not sure who these people are that say that kind of thing. But the fact that, you know, someone is using a photo 
And especially when I see someone say, you know, I used a photo, I created this, but they don't show the reference photo. How can anyone say then that they were limited to that photo or that they only copied the photo? We don't even know what the photo looked like. So you have no basis for even making that kind of statement that you were a copyist. We don't know. They probably improved upon whatever the photo was or they changed it somehow. I guarantee you, it doesn't look exactly like that photo. If you look at my Patreon group challenges each month, where everyone's working from the same reference photo, no two will look the same at all. Right, obviously. Everyone's going to have their own take on everything, even when working from the same reference photo. Yeah, and, you know, and portrait artists, some people say they often put, you know, they project their own, you know, their, their own look on every portrait that they do, like... And I'm talking about even physical characteristics. Sometimes you'll project something that you have within yourself or something you see in other other objects or other people. And, you know, it's true for anything that you're drawing. I think that that, that comes, that's inherent with being an artist, that that's going to happen. You're going to project things from yourself, whether you're intentionally doing that or not. So, yeah, that, I think that's one that we can quickly debunk here. Okay, so how can we get more creative and what can we do to differentiate our art and make it a little more, you know, our own? Well, I think first, start learning to take reference photos yourself. We've all Mm -hmm. got cell phones. If that's all you've got, use that. You can actually set up interesting still lifes. And we'll go back a little bit more into this in a bit. But you can set up still lifes. You can, I mean, there's so many things you can take photos of. And I do recommend artists to start putting money aside to get yourself a nice camera camera, a good DSLR, because getting photos, I can say myself in the last few years that I've been taking photos my on my own, there is a certain pride in working from a photo that you took yourself. That's yeah, your, your creation beginning to end, your vision, your time you spent to capture that right that subject, your composition, everything is yours in that. And so I can't really stress enough how much joy that will bring you when you do work from your own reference photo. So that's one thing you can do is to start taking the photos yourself. Yeah, no, that's great. And, you know, everyone does have a cell phone and it's a really good camera. You know, I took a photo just of a squirrel right outside my my house here not that long ago. Turned out really, really well because that's the camera I had on me. The best camera is the camera that you have on you at the time. So, yeah, be an opportunist. Look around and notice things and be ready to take reference photos yourself. Now, you know, if you can afford a DSLR and if that's your goal and you want to get to that and and purchase one, they are a lot less expensive than they used to be. Some of the other cameras that are nicer than a cell phone, those are affordable as well. They do a decent job. But if you do get a DSLR, I highly recommend that you always shoot in raw and then you change that because you can change so many things you can completely change that photo once you get it in your editor and uh, start playing around with it in just taking in jpeg you're going to be very limited with that but yeah that's something that you can do and it's easy to do just take hundreds of photos all the time have a, a library for yourself all right, so what about in looking in a photo editor like Photoshop? I mean, there's things we can do there. We can change up so many things within your photo editing program. You can you can change the contrast, you can, you know, soften edges. There's so many things that 
that you know i don't know if we can even list all of them the composition you can change the cropping of the photo you can hype up the luminance you know you 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 can you can go in there and you can use hdr although i'd really recommend not doing that cuz i think i think we've had just way too much hdr kind of looks with uh art anyway and you know you now just for our listeners sake because a lot of people aren't going to know what that dynamic means. go ahead and go into the history there john yeah what, high, is, what is hdr no i'm not going to go into the history but it's high dynamic range but it just a little bit about the history it hasn't been around that long as a known kind of thing in the consumer market it's been something that photographers and videographers have done for dec- uh, a long time nearly since photography's been around but it became very popular especially when photoshop and other photo editing programs started putting it inside their suite of products now if you are using uh, photoshop i just want to recommend a really cool tool for you and that is called the NIK suite of tools. It's totally free now. Google purchased it, but there's so many things you can do with that. But yeah, go into, you know, your brightness, your contrast, the the vibrance, the exposure. You can do all of those things in one of your photo editing programs. And if you're new to art and you're unsure of where a shadow begins and ends and usually we know where it begins but we have trouble often on that terminator line where the shadow is separated by the reflective light one of the things you can do to see that graduation in the value is you can go into your photo editing program and you can posterize a photo uh, you know that helps you to see those breaks in where uh, the values are changing and that is hard to see whenever you're first starting out in art so if you're you're a newer artist then that's something to keep in mind you can do that and it'll help you quite a bit I think so one of the next things you can do is play with the lighting and I don't just mean with what John was saying with your editing and, and such I mean actually set up different light sources whether you're doing a still life or you could even be on a walk oh that's a good look one. at the way the light hits especially early morning and late afternoon will give you the best, most interesting light sources. Um, With the way the light may come through a window may be a perfect time to take photos of a flower or glasses, jars, or I mean, anything. Uh, We've seen artists who drew onions and because of the way they did the lighting, Mm -hmm. they were so interesting, so gorgeous. They were hers. You knew it was from this artist. So the lighting is such a big deal. We actually interviewed her. If you want to go back in the archives, that's Cecile Baird, interview with Cecile. Baird. And the lighting, you can take something that seems like such a basic object. I'm just drawing an apple in a jar of peanut butter. And this seems super boring that lots of people have done. You get interesting lighting on that. You have the light source coming in just right. at the right angle with the with I mean, just your natural light source. You don't even have to have an expensive kit or a photography set for this. Natural lighting, I think, will give you some of the most interesting light sources. But playing around with your lighting can take something super boring, super basic, leaves, old leaves off the out from outside. It can be mm, anything. Yeah. And you get that lighting right, and you just made something that is so creative and so unique that... I mean, it, that is you, those things will just draw the viewers in like crazy. So that would be my next tip. I took a picture of an actual toilet out in a field just the other day. And yeah, that's a gross, scummy looking thing. But it, it was really beautiful the way the light was hitting it and all the grass grown up around it. And that may make it into an art piece not too long from now. So, yeah, look for things. Be a noticer. Look around at things and notice light. Uh, light 
plays a big part in it. light and shadows and look look for those things because that's going to make a big difference. So you may be thinking, well, you know, I don't have any ideas. I don't I don't know what I want to uh, draw or paint or anything. I I don't know what to look for. Well, you just follow things that you're interested in. Just follow your interests and look for those simple objects like Lisa was talking about, and you know, just be interested in the in things that normally you gravitate towards and pretty soon if you start doing that you'll start noticing that there are things that pique your interests more so than others and so those are the things you want to snap photos of and start drawing one last tip is if you do have that dslr or even on smartphones you can get macro Mm -hmm. lenses now that will clip onto them but take macro photos of things where they're just super up close of something that somebody may not be able to see the detail of the inside of that flower or the snail's cute little face there are things photos that you can take that you may never even consider as being somewhat interesting but when you take it with a macro lens you can get something that's really, really interesting to look at. Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a really cool tip right there. All right, well, maybe you have something that you would love to add to this list or there's a talking point that you would like to add your comments to. We'd love to hear that. On Twitter, we're Lockery and I'm Sharpened Artist. You can always email us, podcast at sharpenedartist.com. We interact over there on the Facebook group called Color Pencil Podcast. And we will talk to you again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com.